morning and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. Good morning, Stacey. How are you? Morning, John. I am doing well. I am sitting in Charlotte, not where I plan to be today, but it's a nice day. And I am at least on the eastern coast away from the snow. I was in Minneapolis yesterday and trying to get out of Minneapolis with the snow. So so I'm doing good today. <laughs> You know, I really like living in California because it doesn't snow here. Yeah. (laughs) That's like the primary thing to me. Yeah. (laughs) I love to say it's been, you know, I'm I'm from Ohio. I get snow, but I was at a conference yesterday. I saw the snow start to come down about midway through the day. And I'm just thinking, April, (laughs) soon to be May. And the snow is coming down. So, yeah, I was, it was a little bit disheartening. And then when the flight started canceling, um, and they were talking about being stuck in Minneapolis for three days. As much as I love Minneapolis, I took the first flight I could get getting out to the East Coast and just that I will figure out a way to get home from there. And that's what I'm doing today. <laughs> well, so lucky you. Charlotte is an interesting place. Are you actually going to see Charlotte or are you just shuttling between the hotel and the train? Just shuttling between the hotels. I'm going to find another flight and I will be or a train one or the other and I'll be home hopefully this evening. So, But it's not bad you know it got me here the weather is warm this is very nice and i do hope everybody in minneapolis stays safe and warm people were making bets on whether or not they'd have school today so i our, our friends at, from the minneapolis and st paul area will probably let us know after the show if they had school today <laughs> so what's in the mailbag and what are you learning Well, it's been an interesting week. So part of the reason I was in Minneapolis is that I was at the HR Tech Expo for what used to be the LEARN group, which was the small little regional group focused on HR technology in the area, which is now called FuelWorks. So uh, the FuelWorks organization had bought them, but still basically 400, 500 organizations that sort of all come together in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. So there's some fun stuff there that I can definitely talk about as to, to what we're learning and what we're seeing there. There's a lot of other stuff in the mailbag, though. I mean, we, we definitely saw a interesting week. I wouldn't say an overly busy week. There is the, depending on how you say it, HiBob or HiBob, the HR technology software, which I'm kind of hearing a little bit about everywhere. Someone's talking about it. Now, I'm not sure if this receiving of $20 million in funding was the most recent, like another version, because I know we had just talked about them a few weeks ago. So this may have been the same version of the $20 million, but there was some updates about them receiving $20, more, $20 million more investment. But what caught my eye is at the same time, I also saw another conversation going on about an ex-ADP executive, Karen Kieran Hillman, who joined HiBob as vice president of sales and operations. So I think, again, we're just starting to see an organization that's branding and building and probably should be paying attention to. We it's got to be high Bob. It's got to be high Bob. It couldn't. Is be it high Bob? Bob? Okay. See, this is why I'm not. Hi Bob. There you go. <laughs> it, it's a much more fun name, I will say, better than some of the other ones we've been hearing lately. Make School, which is a an interesting organization, is looking to add a New York City campus after 15 million dollars in Series B fundraisers. This is an organization that is partnering with businesses. And basically, we talked a little bit about an organization sort of out of India that was doing this, which is allowing students to sign up, take their courseware and their university classes and their education class, sorry, and then not have to pay for them until they get certain levels of jobs. So we can talk a little bit about that, this idea of paying after you get out of school, which we have heard about in other situations, but it seems to be getting 
more and more interesting. They've put rates on how much you, you, you know, will have to get a job for till before you have to pay. iSIMS has some updates this week on launching their pre-built integration with a candidate assessment providers. So we can talk a little bit about iSIMS updates. They also, I think, had some announcements about their candidate portals as well that they were launching this week. So they've done a couple of things at iSIMS. A PE-backed Prism HR buys Agile HR. Now, these are for very, very small organizations. The software itself from an HR perspective, mostly for PEOs, but probably worth talking about, covers 88,000 you know, companies, even though they're small, 2.2 million employees. So we're starting to see some consolidation in their area. And then some fun stuff for you to talk about, John. We've got data breach legislation proposing jail time for not just CIOs, but HR executives being proposed here in the United States. We have Google Cloud CEO outlining his plans to take the firm even deeper into the enterprise, which originally that sounds like it's just an infrastructure conversation. But if you read it, you hear that it also is talking about the Google applications. I know you've been getting some insight into those. Yeah, um, I spent a little bit of time at the, at the Google Next conference this week, so I, I, can, I can help with that one. Yeah, that's what I figured. You maybe give us some insight into what that looks like. And then finally, the European Commission announces a pilot program for AI ethics guidelines. Um, I thought that was an interesting one, knowing the stuff that we've been talking about. So like I said, a, a diverse and interesting week, but maybe starting up at the top, though, just what we saw going on at the 11th annual HR Technology Expo in St. Paul, Minnesota. I spoke there giving a presentation on the HR technology, basically the future of the HR technologist role. What is it? Are people going to be you know, doing it? Are we going to see more of it? Had a packed room. Love the conversation. This is always a great audience when I go to this event. But you and I were just talking a little bit about the fact that underlining theme of the entire event to me, although it was great presentations by Southwest Airlines and Cargill and Oshkosh and General Mills and, and a lot of other gr- good groups in the area. The underlying theme that everybody kept coming up and talking to me about was, where do I get the skills I need for this next generation of HR technologists? Where do I get the education I need for being an HR analytics person? Where do I get the background I need? And it seemed like every vendor I was talking to, every session I went to, they were talking about what someone needed to do to work in the next generation of the workforce. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And you were saying that that's a theme you're hearing as well in, in a different way though, right? Well, so there are two things I want to tell you about here. First thing is not what we were talking about earlier, and that is I'm in the process of getting started on a really big project to define the skills associated with what I'm calling talent science. And that is what I think HR is headed towards, right? So it's the combination of data science and privacy and technical integration and API management that, that are necessary to operate an HR department that is rooted in quantitative information rather than folk art. And I think that's what you're talking about too, right? And so, so Definitely. I, I did, all I, the things that we talked about in the session, yeah. Yeah, so I think I might actually be working on developing that curriculum. So, I will appreciate so that, that, yeah. <laughs> that's piece one. Piece two is, as I've been hearing a lot of talk about the skills people need to go forward in HR, and a lot of it sounds like shaming and finger-wagging to me. So I've seen very consistently lists of the things that you have to be good at to move forward in HR in the future. And they're lists of what I think of as untrainable things. 
right? So the listen always includes compassion. It always includes critical thinking. And, and I don't know how in the world you tell if you did the right amount of critical thinking yesterday. And I don't know who could give you feedback on that. I mean, and, and so so instead you end up with this, you didn't do your job very well because you don't have critical thinking or we can't promote you because you're not a good critical thinker. I, I don't understand how that works. And you were helping me get a little bit clearer on that because you've got such a deep background in curriculum design. Yeah, you know, my background in instructional design back in the day, and we think about competencies and the skills that go along with competencies, you know, the, the conversation that we were getting into, and I think is, is really relevant right now in this day and age is that, you know, generally a curriculum designer thinks about their world in the sense of repeatable behaviors that can be seen and basically evaluated, that you have to have an objective basically that can be evaluated to build a course around it. But all those skills that you're sort of building courses around generally roll up into a curriculum topic, right? So to me, a lot of what you're talking about are partially a mixture of soft skills, which are very hard to evaluate. And oftentimes instructional designers will even note that the evaluation for those soft skills aren't as strong as they should be, or they're what you would consider uh, curriculum categories, which is basically a roll-up of observable skill sets and things you're training that when you can do all of these skill sets, they'll roll into something like critical thinking or team management, you know, those type of things, right? But they're not in and of themselves a individual skill. That's how I was thinking about it when you were talking about it. But but I think this, it's an open question right now. I think it's part of the reason why we don't have really good career modeling, career pathing tools. We have a constant battle with what is competency management in our world, right? So here's the kind of thing that, that I'm thinking about that I think is probably trainable and might be what's meant by critical thinking. So imagine it's next year and your new matching tool in your recruiting department is up and running and I'm the recruiter, you're the hiring manager. And so I come to you and I say, well, I've got this list of 10 candidates that the machine prepared and we've got 80% confidence that according to the machine, we have 80% confidence that these are the right 10 out of all of the resumes that we've received, and I think we should interview them. But I do want you to know that the machine thinks it's at 80%, and we've been noticing it's the failure is start, the performance is starting to degrade. And so we're not quite at the 80% that the machine confidence says, but we still have some confidence that these are the results. What I'm interested in as we go through the process is your feedback on where the machine's right and the machine's wrong, and here are the areas that you might check as we go through these resumes. Right now, that's how you handle the new layers of complexity and data and analysis is in a conversation where you explain what the information is that you have and then attempt to quantify your concerns about the machine's assessment of the reality. Right. And that. I think you can teach. And I don't know if that's critical thinking or not, but it certainly involves some level of numeracy and some willingness to think beyond the output of the machine. Yeah, and 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 that to me that still sounds very much I, I think of there's a series of different skill sets in there, right? That would roll up into a topic or a, a skill area of critical thinking. But 
I think that might be part of the challenge is that organizations assume critical thinking is a single thing when in reality, what you just talked about are probably six different skill sets in that one scenario, right? You have to understand the machines, understand how their algorithms work. You have to know enough about the business to be able to make some decisions about the level of accuracy, right? There's probably some knowledge that is necessary about sort of the group of people that the the machine is making the decisions about to understand that as well as your company's requirements for diversity and inclusion or growth, all of those things would go into making that critical decision-making process, right? Yeah. So I wish there was more clarity about what this stuff is, because lots of people are going to have to do the thing that I just described in lots of different settings. You know, So the system says, from all of the mechanical feedback we can get that Stacy is a three stars out of five performer, but what we've noticed is that when Stacy's on the team, the job comes in early every time. And that doesn't seem to be in her machine-generated performance evaluation, but it's the most important thing about Stacy is that when she's on the th- on the team, things happen better. That Stacy, I would like to have on my team as well, if possible. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We all and, that. <laughs> and and that doesn't come across in machine-generated performance management. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, well, and this is, I think, the challenge of where we're heading is that machines feel like they should have the answer. We've talked about this many times, right? And the skill sets that that we're going to have to develop as a a workforce dealing with machines as part of our tool sets that are giving us information and insight and answers and not just regurgitating information we put back into them is going to be all about our own knowledge to some extent. It's not going to be as much about our ability to understand that machine. It's going to be about how much do we know so we can judge that machine, right? That's right. We're going to have to supervise machines. And so I don't ever see that skill, for instance, uh, the skills you need in the future. Supervising a machine should probably be on the list. (laughs) So let's talk about Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Yeah. So this, it keeps coming up. I've had a multiple conversations. I had someone ask me about it the other day. I haven't had a chance to preview them, so they are on my list to reach out to and maybe get some time from a briefing perspective. This $20 million in funding is from Investors Bessemer Venture Partners. They're located out of Tel Aviv, an HR tech platform. It looks like they've got a, a whole list of all their core HRMS and, and plus applications. But like I said, what really sort of caught my eye is that, you know, they've been, you know, this, the HiBob platform has talked about, you know, rearranging your shifting the way people think about HR applications, like every application does. But we are starting to see that some people who have worked in some of the other large organizations are moving to that organization. That's usually a pretty good sign when someone jumps to that organization that it's something that's worth paying attention to, right? So just one of the reasons why I sort of added it to our conversation list today. That's interesting. So as I see the world, ADP, which is where people jump from, sort of is is the it's like the tulip bulb that makes all of the other tulip bulbs explode in the hard data payroll end of the business. And so the thing that you noticed here was that Karen Hillman joins Hibob as vice president of sales and operations, and you don't bail on ADP 
to go to a startup unless there is a lot of light there. But that's how Ultimate Software got started, is salespeople running to a a new, exciting venture. So maybe- probably hear more about hi bob i think i mean karen was at adp for over five years in their innovation lab and client success area so i'm assuming that like you said it's it's a don't know karen very well myself personally but i think it's just an interesting note that we're starting to see people sort of move in that direction and worth probably paying attention to so um, the next one is make schools and make school and this is an area that I think I think you really like this area. The the idea that schools bet on students and you don't have to pay for your education until you get a job. Yes, I will have to say I, th- I think when I see these stories, I, I generally say, "Ooh, I I think to me, and maybe it's because I did have a background in sort of recruiting in the early days with the you know third party recruiters, and I thought you know it always felt to me like there was just so much value in sort of having someone identify your worth in the market, right? Helping sort of position you in a way that was beneficial for you. To me, that's what I see a lot of these schools doing is that they're basically taking a bet on you and then on their education, right? And that's an interesting perspective when you think about, you know, students with two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars in student loans right now, who are basically taking a bet on every university, hoping they will get them the right position, which just isn't happening in the market today, particularly here in the States, but really around the world as well. I'm hearing it, the challenge with it. So this is another uh, organization. Now they are partnering, it seems, with the businesses. So there's a, a relationship here with LinkedIn. There's a relationship here with a couple other large organizations that have been mentioned. And they have actual brick and mortar locations for these schools. So I like this. I, I think there should be more of these going on in the market. It challenge the traditional sort of university model if possible. This is exciting. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Next, ISIMS, pre-built integrations with candidate assessment providers. Yeah, ISIMS to me seems to be building out a platform that is sort of the, the recruiter's, should I say holy grail? Like like it's like the ultimate recruiter tool from from what I can see. You've spent a lot of time in the recruiting space, you know, when you start getting into candidate assessments and start getting into candidate application areas, which is now sort of more the the marketing end of the recruiting platform. Is this make sense for a platform that is so focused on the recruiter space? Well, you you know, what what I'm seeing in the mm, sort of AI end of the world is that there's there's a significant amount of money being invested in turning assessment from something that's laborious, frustrating, the, you can see the value, but nobody will take an hour-long assessment and take it seriously. And, and you have to get the entire management structure of your company talking in the same way, using the frameworks to make decisions. So what's happening is that there have got to be 30 companies where what they're trying to do is make assessment happen faster. Right. And they're using intelligence to make assessment happen faster. And so good on ISIMS for catching that trend and integrating it. And we'll pretty soon have a world where everybody who applies for a job gets assessed as almost the first step of that process. Now, whether or not that means anything is, is a separate thing. So if I know all about your personality, I don't know anywhere where I can find out whether or not that actually is meaningful in your job. I mean, assessments are always a mixture of 
science and art. That's that's been part of the the challenge with them, unless they are highly validated, which most of the 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 larger ones are have been, but highly validated as and and they must be if you're using them from a recruiting perspective, validated at least against the job requirements. You must show that these are things you're assessing for are things that will be used on the job. And that's a little bit harder with things like personality traits or, you know, information that you're looking for in this sort of the, as we just talked about it, the next generation of the workforce, like critical thinking skills, right? Yeah, I don't know where, you, you know, I've seen there's great work going on out there in job simulations and the kinds of assessment associated with duplicating the decision-making environment of a job. That's really, really interesting stuff. That's I don't think that's what they're talking about here. They're talking about standard personality and sometimes skills, hard skills assessment tools that you can dump into a single portfolio for a candidate, review purposes. And so, so I doubt that part of this process is an insistence on validating that what's being assessed is associated with performance on the job because that presumes a very complex relationship with an assessment firm to determine what's relevant for the job, right? Well, and so there's risks involved in it, but it's but I but I do think you're right. That is, we're going to see more and more of it. Then, yeah, definitely. Yep, yep. It's well, the it's the new thing. So, kind of talking about data and all the things that, because you think about all the assessment comes with someone's information that they're sharing about themselves and their personality. What do you think about this new legislation that's putting put forth? Now, it's, it's unlikely to go forward. We know that here in the United States. But it's a data breach or what they're calling the data breach legislation, which is aimed at the executives, which could include the heads of HR as being held accountable with some possible jail time for their organizations getting a data breach of personal information and data. So if we think about, you know, the Equifax data breach or the Target data breach, any of those things, you know, right now there's a lot of fines incurred and regulations, but I don't know that there's been jail time assessed around this. What do you think about this? Is this realistic that it would go through ever? And and is this something that we should be starting to prepare for? I think we're going to see a lot of this sort of bubbly news as we move our way into the next election. And there's certainly a big hunger in the United States for reining in large corporations and for reining in the turn that's taken in privacy. This isn't going to go anywhere, but it ought to. You know, if some level of personal accountability isn't introduced into the data and privacy thing, I don't know how you get people to pay attention. It's really brutally hard work to stay on top of security. It's dry. It's boring. It's like being a first responder. It is dry and boring until it's not. Exactly. And getting those sorts of jobs right, where security depends on being excellent when it's dry and boring, it's pretty easy for people to slack off in those in those areas. And that's where the breaches tend to come from. They, te- they, they come from stupid mistakes. And waking people up so that stupid mistake-making diminishes is, I think, a good idea. So there's something here. It just won't go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, this is exactly the conversation that I had actually yesterday with the audience that I was talking to about the, the new HR technologist roles. You know, it's surprising that almost 25% of the market has 
bring your own device mobile technology agreements with their employees where they can connect to their network, but they have no policy in place around that connection. On top of it, we found that only about 50% of organizations in our research are doing any kind of dual-factor, multi-factor authentication. And for mid-market and small organizations and even large organizations, only about 50 or 60% of them are do, have remote wipe capability on HR technology. That, those are the kind of things that are just basic, fundamental data protection tools, right? And lots of organizations don't have them in place on HR technology, which is one of the, the most widely available areas where you have personal information or data accessible to organizations. So it's, it's an ongoing issue, I think, for this space. Yeah. So real quickly, we've got a Google item next on, on the, the menu. I was, I was with Google this week and there's certainly lots to talk about. We might pick it up next week as well. But the basic theme of the piece that you discovered, which is that the cloud component of Google wants to go deeper into the enterprise, their strategy is very interesting and worth understanding. So they don't really have products in the way that Oracle or SAP or IBM or Ultimate would have. They do more it's it's more of an api business and so as i understand it and they're so smart and i probably have this a little bit wrong they sort of plug you into one kind of data or one kind of service like their job matching service and get to know you because you're plugged into that one little piece of technology and they show you where the other plugs are and how you can plug those other things into your processes. So they're not thinking about coming on as a full-up workflow-oriented enterprise provider who you would replace Oracle with Google. Instead, they're imagining that you're a bunch of sockets and those sockets are created by your current enterprise level service provider, and they can offer you accelerants to modular processes inside of that thing. Does that make sense to you? It makes complete sense. And I, and I think that the only thing that I've caught that's, I think, a little bit different that we're starting to see, and I'd be interested in knowing it, maybe this is where we pick it up next week. Part of this conversation is not just about their applications, but it's also about their cloud infrastructure. So I feel like maybe what Google's doing is saying, we, also, we want you in our cloud, but we're okay if you bring anybody else into our cloud, and then we'll, we'll slot our applications in much more easier if you're in our cloud. But everybody's, we're happy to have everybody work here, and I'm not sure that's what we hear as much in the other cloud application areas. Does that make sense to you as well? Yeah, so I think we're sort of talking, this is a new way of imagining enterprise functionality delivery. And so when I say plug it into your process, what I really probably should be clearer about is when you have this plug, you're going to execute your process in our cloud, and we want you to do more execution in our cloud, but we're happy to have it express in the interface of somebody who might think of themselves as our competitor. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is that right? Does that resonate with you? That makes more sense. And I think this is the new way we have to think about architectures, right? Like there is no 
single entity, but there is this sort of amorphous cloud world that you've got to, you've got to sit somewhere basically, right? You have to have a, just make a decision about which of the cloud environments you feel is most conducive to the way you want to integrate your applications and plug those integrations in, right? So I wonder if the decision's different at the operating level. And it's more like, you know, Workday and Ultimate and a host of other people have Slack integrations because they'd rather be where people work than own the interface. Yeah. Maybe that same kind of principle is spreading out so that owning the interface isn't the game. Owning the process, owning the performance of the process even is the game. And that's a way of talking about how cloud processing volume increases. Yeah. Exactly. I think the language gets really squirrely here. And, you know, I had a great conversation with people from Google, but it was just like this, trying to feel for the next level of the metaphor to describe something that's pretty powerful that's going on. It's powerful and it's new. So it's hard to describe something that is really new and just, you know, we're wrapping our heads around it, right? So I'm not surprised it's a little bit, you know, difficult to describe. I think, you know, in, in a few years, we'll be, they'll have names for all these things that will make a lot more sense than what we have today. And we'll probably still be talking about them, John. So that's where I hope we're at. <laughs> yep. So what a great conversation today. Thank you so much for doing this. And we'll be back here same time next week. You've been listening to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. See you soon. Thanks for listening in. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.